night at the David Dunlop Observatory on episode 375 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up, up at the night sky and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. So Shane, I had the opportunity to get to Toronto. I was able to go to the Dorner Telescope Museum and later that day had a visit at the David Dunlop Observatory up in Thornhill. And then the next day uh, was able to, thanks to Tom Otfuss, who's a listener, he came and picked me up in downtown Toronto and took me out to Port Credit and meet up with uh, him and some of my friends uh, from the Kitchener-Waterloo Centre. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty good trip there week before last. Yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about the David Dunlop Observatory, also known as the DDO the here DDO, in Canada. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Chris, just to set it up a little bit, uh, is this open to the public? Oh, yeah, it is. Yep. In fact, that's what I went for, sort of strangely Ooh. enough, is I went for their, I think it was their last or one of their last public observing nights for uh, 2023, where they have the uh, telescope open and running i put a photo in the sh in the show notes uh maybe these show notes can be put out so people can take a look at the photo i i think this is probably the best photo that i've ever taken it's just with my cell phone it looks like i i think it looks like an amazing photo but this is just how it looked this isn't like any kind of fancy photograph or anything oh yeah yeah it, it's a nice photo it's yeah you can see the dome there's somebody walking up to the dome the door is open you can see the the telescope sort of on the uh, left side of the the slit as we're as we're facing it but uh i knew i was going to be going to toronto and had uh, mentioned this to to tom uh and we we're going to meet up and then um tom wrote back and said and and i i think i mentioned i was going to try to see if i could arrange to uh just see the uh the DDO just just you know have a tour of the dome uh, during the daytime or or at night or whenever somebody was available. And Tom said, "Well, hey, actually, they're doing a a public uh, observing session through the telescope the the day that you would you know you were looking to go." And I said, "I'm going to sign up for this," so I did, and then had to figure out my uh, my way to get there. So that that was a bit of an adventure, Shane. Let me tell you. Oh, how come? Well, because, you know, I'd been to, well, let's see. So in, in Toronto, of course, you're taking the, the subway and public transit around. It's not really that easy to uh, to get up to the north end. In fact, well, Thornhill, uh, sorry, not Thornhill. Anyway, where, where it is, uh, Richmond Hill, my mistake, is uh, at the, it's sort of beyond the north end of the city of Toronto proper. And Richmond Hill is, is a city um in itself so you kind of have to get through all of toronto and then a little bit distance to the uh to the north there is uh is richmond hill um and so what what i was going to have to do is is take the subway as far north as it as it could go and then uh either get an uber or a cab or something over to the observatory which is i think about a 20 minute or 25 minute drive um you know, from the end of the subway lines. So it was going to, it was going to be a bit of an adventure getting there. But uh, fortunately, as, as I inquired, one of the people who was running the event offered um, to, to drive me as long as I could get my way up to York university. So uh, that's, that's what I ended up doing. And yeah, it wasn't, uh, wasn't too bad to get there, but uh, it had been a long time since I navigated that area. I used to drive through there 
um, frequently enough when I lived in Ontario, but we got going in the wrong direction and I, I get us lost by about 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, that was my fault. Hmm. But anyway, yeah, it was kind of cool. Um, so you, you get in there and it's in its own parkland and uh, just a really beautiful spot. And they were given these uh, these tours. But because I arrived there early and I arrived with one of the people who was who was running the show, they let me go in early and I got to go in and, and took some photos there. I did put uh, one of the internal photos. You can see one of the uh, docents who's standing at, at the controls. They're having trouble getting the power to it because they have all these. Uh, well, first of all, this telescope chain, I looked it up. It's it's a couple feet short of being the same size as a school bus. Holy smokes. Enormous. It is, and it weighs a little bit more. Oh wow! I think it weighs weighs a couple a couple school buses worth. So they have all these safety switches, and of course, because uh, technically speaking, uh, this is uh, sort of owned and on the grounds of uh, of Richmond Hill, they have to abide by all the uh, safety rules and regulations. So there's, it seemed to me like innumerable. Um, sort of dead man switches, as they call them, you know, those safety switches where if if such and such has occurred, then the thing um, isn't going to start up. So you could they could see there was power getting to it, but it wouldn't run. So it looked like one of the doors that goes out of the observatory um, had uh, had a gate that had blown open and it had, had switched the power there. And as soon as that happens, because if somebody's outside, and the dome rotates, the person will be like stranded out there. <laughs> so it's uh yeah, it's a, it is a safety concern. So you have to go through and they had to go and go through a full reset of, of the instrument. It took about half an hour or so for them to kind of get it sorted out and running. But uh, during that period of time, it was kind of cool because they had it all lit up and I was able to kind of wander around uh, uh, freely. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool. So thanks to uh, Quentin, Denise, uh, James, Constantine, all the other uh, RESC volunteers for uh, giving me this sort of spectacular tour and memorable time there. It's really cool. Is there a charge for the public if they want to observe or is it just open on public nights to anybody that wants to come? Yeah. So there is a, a small fee. I, I say it's small. It's a pretty good deal. I think it was $17 and change. Um, and then with that, what you get, uh, you get quite a bit for your money uh, for basically uh, less than 20 bucks. I think this is about the uh, least expensive thing going. I, I think, uh, yeah, it's it's a very good deal. So so you go in and first of all, the architecture in this place is, uh, is quite beautiful, uh, very well maintained. They do architectural tours on, on top of all the astronomy activities that go on there but uh just just to be able to go in and, and walk around in the facility is is super cool um but typically what you do is you you go and you meet at the main building there's there's two sort of main structures one is this uh this beautiful building it has domes on top i wasn't able to get in those domes uh, maybe next time um and there was a, a speaker they had uh uh professor uh i'm gonna say this wrong but i think it's Dawan Wu. And she spoke about fast uh, radio bursts, the universe seen through uh, the eyes of fast radio bursts. So that was cool. So you get a lecture and then uh, it was a great talk. And then you head outside and they had some small like eight uh, inch F6 Dobsonian set up on the lawn. And uh, they were, it, it takes a lot of finagling to get a 74 inch a Cassegrain pointed at things. So they were, they were getting that pointed at Saturn. 
while everybody outside was uh, was taking a view through these smaller telescopes at Jupiter and the Moon and and Saturn, um, you know, while they, while they got the big one pointed at at Saturn, and the temperature it was wild. Like I had taken some warmer clothes, uh, having lived in Ontario and not even that far from here, only uh, maybe an hour and a half or, or less than two hours away, and uh, it was the warmest night uh, in October that Ontario ever has had on record. It was uh, positive 18 all night. So I kind of spent most of the night just sort of carrying my coat around, but I had envisioned, you know, being bundled up with my coat hat gloves on as typically would be on a cool October night on, uh, at the, you know, very last days, uh, of October, but, but not so. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. sounds like you lucked out in that regard. Yeah. So, so just to get to the telescope, uh, maybe, I, I don't know if uh, it's in your notes or not, but what kind of eyepieces does this thing take? Yeah, I wondered about that myself. And I asked them, they didn't really fully know. And I, I did, I did. People asked, did you really go and look through a 74 inch telescope? And the answer is yes. And I looked at Saturn through the 74 inch telescope. They darn well made sure everybody had uh, some good views. It was coming and going between the clouds. But I did ask them what the eyepiece was, and I did have a look at it. I couldn't really take a photo because it it sits in um, at the end. If you look at one of the photos there, you can kind of see the end of it has sort of this huge sort of triangular-shaped thing, and that's where the light comes to focus, and then there's a bit of a black box, and it's just kind of, I don't know, it looks like it's about... It's about three or four times the size of a shoebox. And then the eyepiece just sort of stuck into this thing. So mm. that's what it, and it, and I, I believe it's just like a push pull focus mechanism. It's not, uh, yeah, it's not like there's a proper focus. Uh, I, I don't think there's too much of a focus knob or it's not like a feather touch or anything in the end of this thing. Cause it was built in the, uh, I think in the 1950s or so. So yeah, but there is. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to there is an eyepiece there, but they didn't know what it was, but it was huge. It was yeah. uh, almost as big as my 17 millimeter. No, it was, it was actually bigger than that. It was uh, definitely the size of, uh, of a 32 ounce water bottle and, and as big around like the, even the eye lens was significantly bigger than my 17 millimeter. Hmm. And what magnification were you at with Saturn? <sighs> I figured just based on my previous experience observing and they didn't know what the focal length of that eyepiece was. I estimated it was maybe a 60 or so millimeter eyepiece. And I believe back in the day, they did make some 60 millimeter eyepieces for these um, big optical telescopes. Because back in the day, they they would look through them the odd time. And uh, I, I figured it was probably given around 600 power, at least 500 power. It was big because considering mm -hmm. it was a a very wide field, like I'm guessing like a 60 degree field of view ocular. And uh, yeah, at that kind of power, it still didn't quite fill the full field of view. And you could see um, a couple of the moons nearby and that sort of thing. But it was so bright. Um, Saturn was so bright through it that it was, you know, it was sort of akin to looking at uh, at the full moon, like through uh, through your telescope chain. That That's how bright Saturn was through it. Wow. So was there any unique detail in Saturn that you were able to see that you've just never seen through a, a telescope visually before? <laughs> I wish I could say there was. Um, uh, all I can really say is that I looked through it and I did see Saturn. You could see um, one or two of the moons nearby, but that's kind of like it. It was, it was fairly washed out because of the brightness. 
and also uh, there was a lot of cloud going by. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's kind of about uh, about the view any anybody can get. And it was at an ex- and I, I asked him about this too. It was at an extremely awkward angle. So imagine, you know, when we were looking at M thirteen the other night. And, and we, you know, the telescope was at like the angle it was at, and we were standing, looking down into the telescope. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine if I had rotated that eyepiece so that it was looking down towards the ground and that you had to, and that you were miniaturized to like uh, three apples tall or basically the size of a Smurf. And you had to climb a ladder to get up underneath that eyepiece to look through. That's what it was like. Oh, so wow. you had, yeah, you had to sort of climb up a 12 or 14 foot ladder and then it was uh, it was pointed at this uh, sort of weird, awkward angle, sort of back. You were looking sort of backwards into the back of the dome, um, and you were kind of looking up at about a sixty uh, degree angle. So it was it was at a very strange position. They said that in the summer, uh, when M thirteen is overhead, they'll point it straight up, and then you're basically it's like periscope uh, mm. viewing. So you're just looking straight through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if if you wanted to switch objects and look at say M45, how long would it take that telescope to orient itself and, and point at a different object? Yeah. So I, I did, I asked them, I felt kind of bad cause I kind of gone and then I, I had intended just, just to go sort of be a member of the public. And then I had gone and gotten, I had hitched a ride, but I still had all these questions. So I was asking them all these questions at the public session. I was like, Ooh, Hopefully I'm not annoying anybody, but they were very good natured and, and answering my questions. Um, but I did ask that and they said that it, it they, they couldn't quite switch it like that. So yeah. like if, if we're looking at Saturn and M42 is rising, they would have to cross the meridian and, and this telescope has to do one of those meridian flips. Okay. And they hadn't done that. Nobody there had done that before with the instrument. So in a way they kind of use it, and this, this is a smart way to use it in a way they kind of use it like, uh, like how Herschel would use his telescope where they, uh, they kind of have a pointed more or less in this direction. And as, as things pass by more or less, they, they observe them, they move it a little bit, um, but they sort of move it up and down through the slit and they have a pointed more or less at the ecliptic and they can kind of uh, move the slit, they move the slit a little bit and they kind of pan, they can pan the telescope back and forth across the ecliptic a little bit, um, in a certain way, but they can only go so far before the telescope would go through this flip. And they, they, uh, they said it's a pretty big operation to do that. And the whole thing has to kind of slew around. So, uh, they do have to be a little bit careful in, in what they're doing. And they just plan out to look at one or, or a couple objects really. But, uh, in essence, when you go, you're probably just going to see one thing through it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, what else, uh, kind of caught your eye or was of interest while you were there? Like the history of it was, uh, really quite interesting. So, and, and this, they, they kind of took me around beforehand, but they do give a proper tour and that's what the public gets and that's what people should do. Um, and you learn about the history of the DDO, the opening in 1935, and then it operated at the forefront of, uh, astronomical research, uh, research until 2007 and uh, you learn about some of the information, like they uh, they were one of the first to investigate the Cygnus uh, X1 uh, black hole and, and to detect that it was a black hole using uh, X-ray technology. And then in uh, 2008, uh, the land was sold and uh, and it was one of these rare times where the land was sold and the public concern was so high at the time um, because it, it seemed like 
perhaps it was in the cards just to simply bulldoze everything and and put condos up. Mm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Not to uh, downplay the need for housing in our country, but, uh, but bulldozing a historic site that, uh, you know, that was the, uh, the forefront of, of astronomical research in our, or one of the, one of the main places for astronomical research, the other being the, the Dominion out on uh, Vancouver Island. But, uh, you know, it would just be kind of sad to lose such a, an amazing and historic building. I mean, literally, I feel like you can make your money back selling this place as, uh, as the set for innumerable movies. <laughs> just oh, wow. Being, it's just, it just looks like something out of, out of a 1950s, uh, space movie of some sort. Um, they, they've got to do it at some point in time. Cause it's, the place is just amazing. Uh, just as is, it's just this, this amazing place to see, but um, in sort of a rare instance of, uh, of a municipality listening to citizens, the city of Richmond Hill uh, stepped up and they preserved 40 acres of surrounding parkland and the uh, facility. And uh, they put these big stands of thick, tall trees in to block local light. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's actually like considering you're really, you know, just outside of Toronto, um, you know, and the sky isn't dark, but yeah. you don't see like any sort of blaring lights or anything like that. And they've got all the proper dark skylight protocols in, in place on the site. So it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool in, uh, in that regard. So, um, let's see what else. Yeah. I said, I think the eyepiece was 60 millimeter. They said it's like, uh, the focal length of it is 120 feet. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so, enormous. Yeah, so noodle that. I did put a photo of me standing beside it. So one of the neat things they they did let me do very carefully in case the uh, city of Richmond Hill is listening, uh, but under the supervision of uh, not fewer than four individuals, uh, essentially uh, holding my hands, um, they did let me go up onto the catwalk and get a photo um, of me essentially uh, just about standing inside the secondary um you know, right by the spider veins of the instrument. And uh, yeah, that was a really cool experience to be able to do. So they they have to go up there as trained people. And I am a member of the RASC and, you know, have been trained in the operation of all kinds of weird and wacky observatories over the years. But uh, this was uh, a really cool opportunity to go up and actually see what they were doing. It's hard to see in the photo. And in fact, this is a testament to how large the instrument is. But in, in the photo where I am standing there, there are actually uh, no fewer than two people in the instrument at that time, and you cannot see them. Um, there's mm. one standing just behind me. You can just barely see like a part of their head, and then there is somebody down, and just uh, they happen to be uh, beside the mirror at the time, and you can't see them. But the fact that this telescope is so huge that I could be standing at the front of it, it is an open uh, structure design. And it's so big that it's uh, it's actually hard to see the the two people that are inside the telescope uh, while I am standing there. It was that was super cool. Jeez, yeah, this is uh, this is an enormous structure. It's huge, and, it, and you know the telescope is just wild. Well, like I said, my original plan because um, I thought, well, it won't work out that I'll I'll get to look through the telescope. That's not going to happen. It, I tried to go to it. I had tried to go to it several times in the past on three occasions. And the plans get scuttled once there was a snowstorm and once there was, um, it was just really cold. Like it was, it was at this time of year and we were in Toronto for meetings for the RESC and they had planned for us to go, but it was like, it ended up being like minus 
20 with the wind chill. It was like one of those, you know, really cold days. And then uh, there was another time where my plans just, just didn't work out. I wanted to go before I, yeah, before I had left uh, Ontario, but this time it, everything lined up and I was able to go and I just wanted to see the instrument. And I really got to see it. They gave me just this fantastic tour. And um, like I said, they guided me up to the top and let me get a photo taken Uh you know, right by the right by the secondary cage. That was just so cool. Hmm. Yeah, very neat. So when you're there, you you go in. They they give you this tour. They give you the history after your public lecture. If the conditions are poor, my understanding is they do like a bit of a planetarium show, well, like using planetarium software. Um, I guess during the winter months, they even bring in a portable planetarium. I'm not sure how much looking they do through the telescope in the winter months. And then um, they have uh, lots of volunteers. I think they had five or six volunteers um, on hand. And it's, uh, it is it is a really, really cool thing to go and look through a 74-inch instrument. And I got to say, it's, it's an impressive facility. And the volunteers were just absolutely spectacular. And uh, hats off to the city of Richmond Hill for... Uh, for actually setting setting all this this up and uh, creating this opportunity for anybody who's visiting Toronto for um, less than twenty bucks a, a piece, you can go and spend uh, uh, three or four hours or whatever it ends up being at, at the facility. I guess like uh, yeah, it ended up being four hours for me. I guess for the public, it's about a three hour session. So you know, basically uh, five five bucks an hour to see this, and it's uh, even if it's not clear it's well worth it. I wanted to go to see it, even if it wasn't clear and it ended up being clear enough that they could open it up and uh, yeah. And, and try to show us stuff. And we all had to look at Saturn through it. So I can now say that I've looked through a 74 inch instrument at the very least. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. Um, yeah. Do you know offhand, like are how many nights a month they would be open to the public and is it sort of standard like every Friday or anything like that? Well, let me, so one thing that I did because as I was on my trip, I was taking um, I was taking my camera and I was taking photos and I had so much going on. I thought and afterwards I thought I really should have gotten those recording um, pieces from you, those microphones. But I just was like, okay, I just got to record like the key person here, like I did with Randall. And I did do a recording with Denise, who is the chair of the public outreach at the David Dunlop Observatory at the DDO. So I did like about a four minute video with her one. And I just uh, but we'll just play the audio because she, she's just like hanging out in her office, um, which, by the way, is the coolest office I've ever been to because so I'll set this up. So we were going to record in the dome, but they were I thought it would, wouldn't be as loud. I was like, oh, we have to record in the dome. And then we went up and uh, this is after the public left. And they, we went up and she let me go up and take a look at the telescope and everything, which was awesome. But they have to do so much work to pack it down at the end of the night. And it's just like, basically, they're closing metal shutters for like an hour. It's like very loud. So she was like, yeah, let's not do it here. So I'm like, fine. So we went to her office, which is the storage room for all of the public outreach telescopes. So it's, it's a room that basically looks like a mini telescope museum in itself with... 10-inch McCassagrains and all these 8-inch daubs and um, some old telescopes and everything. It's it's pretty cool. But I'll uh, let me see if I can just uh, play this soundbite. Uh, whoops, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to play the soundbite for you and make sure that I I share the sound this time so that uh, so that you can hear it. So yeah, five minutes, Shane, and then we'll come back. You can take a listen, okay? Sounds good. Okay, who am I sitting here today with? 
So my name is Denise Chilton and I am the RASC DDO committee chair. So the chair of the committee for the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, Toronto Centre, that does and that organizes the outreach activities here at the David Dunlop Observatory. So it was a really great evening we had here tonight. We had a, a speaker talking about fast radio bursts and then uh, you took everybody out onto the lawn and we looked through some Dobsonian telescopes and then we went up and had a look through the 74 inch. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, the outreach here and you know, typically how you guys organize your events and what you do here? Yeah, sure. So we, um, we have a series of different programs that we offer in partnership with the city of Richmond Hill. So Richmond Hill owns the facility um, and they have two outreach partners. There's the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada Toronto Centre and also the David Dunlap Observatory Defenders is the other, the other group that does astronomy outreach here. And we offer a whole series of programs that are geared for different age groups and interest levels um, of, of astronomy outreach, uh, both for nighttime observing and daytime observing of the sun. We have some sun events as well that we do here. So our events range from things like speaker nights, which you attended tonight, where we bring in uh, somebody who is an, an astronomer who is a professional and an expert to talk about their experiences, their research, what's going on in their field. Um, and then, of course, that program also includes visits to uh, the Dome 74-inch telescope um, and Skylab sometimes uh, when, the, when the weather is cloudy. We, uh, we have a, an indoor planetarium, essentially, where we you know, project things on the wall um, and give people sky tours. We, we set up lawn telescopes. So that's speaker night. We have uh, also family night programs that are geared for a slightly younger uh, audience. People can bring their kids as young as seven to, uh, to those events. And those are focused primarily on visiting the dome and visiting the Skylab and lawn telescopes in between. So there's no speaker, there's, uh, there's less information, but more um, engagement and inter interaction with the big telescope. We also do, um, we have a, a wonderful astronomer here who's a rascal who brings his planetarium, his inflatable planetarium, um, and sets it up in the lecture hall and does tours of the sky in the middle of the day, which is also great for people with families who, you know, can't necessarily have the kids up until 10 or 11 o'clock at mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that is the, the challenge of astronomy, right, is it tends to happen late. Um, so we do have some daytime events where we, you know, where we share sort of the virtual sky or, or the projected sky. Um, and then, of course, we also do daytime events where we have like a focus on solar mm -hmm. astronomy. So we do uh, two events. One is sun fun, which is a little bit longer. And then we also do Sunday sun gazing um, once a month on Sundays. Uh, and these events both focus on what is up with the sun. Um, we always give away eclipse glasses as nice. part of that so that people can actually take home something um, that allows them to do some observing themselves. Yeah. And how many people do you usually get out for an event? Um, so our attendance ranges between, you know, 20 uh, is the cap for some programs, depending on uh, the sort of resources involved in putting that mm -hmm. on, um, to as many as 60 people who might come out on a family night or yeah. a lecture night. Yeah. 
Nice. And so how can people find out about events uh, here at the David Dunlop Observatory? So there are a couple of ways. If you're interested in RASC events specifically, so events hosted by RASC, you can go to rasco.ca. That is our Toronto Centre uh, website and we have our whole calendar of events is, is posted there um, and advertised there weeks in advance. Um, there is also a Richmond Hill site. Uh, if people Google active RH and then search the activities with using the word astro, they will come up with everything that's being offered here at the observatory, Perfect. including things that are offered by the city of Richmond Hill, like heritage tours, because this is a heritage site. Um, it does have like historic status. There's a plaque outside nice. um, to that effect. And they do uh, even things like architecture tours of this building, the administration building, because it is um, a, a heritage building. So. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff going on here, both astronomy focused and more historically focused as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Denise. Is there anything else we should add? Um, I, I think just that it is, you know, as rascals, I think we feel a huge sense of um, just privilege to be able to share this, this incredible telescope with people. It is it's such a landmark and it's been in operation for, you know, almost 90 years mm -hmm. now. So um, it is, um, it's a really special place and it's, um, it's a real privilege to be able to share that with the general public um, and, and get people in here, get them excited about astronomy. Well, thank you so much for keeping it open for the rest of us to come and look through. You bet. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks, Denise. Not that we're keeping it open. That's a Richmond Hill job, but... Uh, but yeah, we uh, we're definitely happy to be the one be one of the parties involved in doing astronomy outreach. It is a real privilege. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much for the great evening. Oh, you're welcome. Glad you enjoyed your visit. There you go, Shane. And that answers some of some of the questions on what they do there and the type of events they have available. Yeah, yeah, that was neat to hear her speak. Very passionate. I uh, I love that. Yeah, I could just tell that, uh, you know, when I was around, it, it occurred to me, oh, I should do like a like a sound clip that maybe we could put in the show. I know we don't do that uh, that often, but I thought this is just uh, one of those opportunities. Got to remember to take microphones next time. It's just always one more thing to pack when, mm -hmm. you know, you're you're doing a trip that basically is going to last uh, three days and trying trying to pack in so many things. Um, just coordinating all that was uh was uh, a busy time anyway, just coordinating it and then running around doing all this stuff and then, uh, you know, making sure that I, I had some stuff to share with you and, and with the listeners as well, because I think it is kind of cool to get to these places. And then uh, for those that can't, uh, to kind of share those experiences. And oftentimes people might have their own uh, places uh, like this uh, that they can visit in, in their own neck of the woods and, uh, and, and partake of some of these telescope and observatory tours. It's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody that lives close to this, uh, if they haven't seen it, it sounds like you kind of have to. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a, a really neat place to visit. Yeah. Although like when I was just chatting with people in the line um, that were lined up to look through it, I think half of the people had, had gone there at least on one or two occasions before and, but hadn't had uh, clear sky opportunity to actually look through the instruments. So there was a lot of people that were excited that the, the clear skies and, and the telescope uh, public night had, had finally aligned. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's always a challenge when you put dates on a calendar, you, you hope for good conditions, but, uh, you just never know. Yeah. But I think the way they do it is, is really nice. One of the other things they do there is they give out like the Starfinder planispheres and, um, like she was saying, when they do their solar observing, they give out the eclipse glasses and they really give you sort of a very nice and, and full experience. So I, th- I think you get quite a bit for, uh, for the money that you're paying for the event. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If I get out there anytime soon, I'll, I'll definitely be checking it out. Yeah. And people should, like if you are in the greater Toronto area and you haven't been there to just even to go and take a look at it, even, even if you go on a night that isn't looking good for astronomy, um, especially during the warmer months, I think, I think when they're, they're running it like this, um, then, then yeah, it's, it's just worth it to go and see. And it was nice. Like it was nice to go and just attend a lecture and, you know, uh, just, just relax and, and hang out with some people and, uh, yeah, the opportunity just to tour that uh, massive, uh, largest optical telescope in Canada was really cool. Um, the first one I ever went to was the Dominion Astrophysical Observatory, but I'm not sure if it's open for tours at the present time, because they used to have a big, uh, interpretive center there, but I, I think it's since, uh, shut down. I know, I know it had because for a while anyway, because I had visited it both before and after it had shuttered. I, and then had a private tour as well. So, um, anyway, just sort of one of the things that I was doing, uh, one of the weekends this, this past month during the, the full moon period, you got to make uh, good use of your time. And, uh, it was really cool to get over to, uh, see Tom, uh, and his 14 inch F 2.6, uh, uh, as well. So yeah, it was, it was neat to see that telescope in person and some of his other instruments and his observing logs and, uh, and then to meet up with some other friends for lunch. So I also appreciated that, that very much. I thought I might do an episode on that, but you know, sometimes when you're just hanging out with people, you just kind of want to be hanging out with people and not making a show, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's the way it goes. Yeah. So that's my bit on the David Dunlop observatory and spending an evening there. Um, as you said, Shane, it's, it's well worth going and checking out, or if you have another, um, observatory in, in your area to go and, and partake in one of the nights and, uh, yeah, it's usually well worth your while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, these observatories, um, have like a lot of them have been around for a long, long time and, uh, just a real unique experience or opportunity to be around a, you know, a research grade telescope. And, you know, what really intrigues me with a lot of these is, is the history, you know, it's kind of, uh, if the walls could talk, well, if the telescope could talk, I'm sure it would have some amazing stories to tell of what it's seen over the years. Yeah. Well, one of the stories they, they did tell us was about Helen Sawyer Hogg, who was, uh, a well-known Canadian uh, observer. And uh, she observed from there and uh, they were telling this story and hopefully I'm getting this right, is that uh, I think she even took her her baby up into the secondary cage when she was doing her observations and she had a large handbag um, as was the style in the day. And uh, she would put the photographic plates when they were using it in Newtonian um, mode to uh, she would put her photographic plates in her handbag and lower them down so that she didn't have to uh, clamber up and down each time with the with the baby every time she wanted to change the plate. So, yeah, there's some there's some pretty good uh, history in these places as well. And it's great to go and to meet with these people and to uh, to get those stories while you're standing there. It's really uh, an immersive experience. It is you know, it was 18 degrees that day, but they keep the, 
like the observatory is set up to stay at like nighttime ambient temperature. So it was sort of shocking when you go in, it was 20 plus 23 degrees when we arrived. And when I walked in there, I think it was about, I'm going to say it was about maybe 14 degrees inside the dome. So it was, uh, you know, just about 10 degrees colder. It was a bit of like, whoa, like it's like walking into cold storage, you know, it's uh, kind of surprising. Hmm. I guess that's a good tip. If, if you go, <laughs> you might want to bring a jacket or a sweater. Yeah. Often these observatories, some of them are even air conditioned. This, I don't think this one is, but it was, uh, yeah, it was certainly cool in there. Even, uh, yeah, there was people though that were like in shorts and hats because it did, it did warm up as they had the slit open. And I noticed that, uh, after, because when I first went in, I was like, this is kind of cool. Even though I had brought my coat, I did put my coat on. I had my hat and gloves and, you know, I, I think I threw my hat on. I didn't bother putting my gloves on, but then, uh, yeah, when we went back a couple hours later, it had, it had warmed up like three or four degrees. So it was, you know, at ambient temperature, uh, 18 degrees was the outside temperature. So it was pretty much that temperature. So the odd person who did show up wearing shorts uh, wasn't too bad off. Hmm. Interesting. So that's it. That's my tour. Anything to add to this, uh, this episode on my tour of the David Dunlop Observatory one night? No, nothing for me. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, you can always share your astronomy journeys and experiences, show ideas, observations, and you can always send us questions, all of those, to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>